Praise the Lord. Before we even begin today, let's pray. Father, we just come to you now, and we want to declare that you're our king. You're our Lord. And Father, as we begin this new year together, as we begin together as the church, as your people called out of darkness into light, God, we want to say we want to worship you with spirit and truth this whole year. God, we want to lay before you our lives. We want to lay before you our families, God. We want to lay before you our finances, God. We want to lay before you our dreams. And we ask that you would have your way. And God, we pray that you would continue to make this church into the church that you want it to be. That we would follow after you in spirit and truth. God, I'm a sinful man and I need help this morning. I cannot do this without you and I wouldn't even try. So God, would you be with us today? Prepare our hearts as we open your word. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's very exciting for me to be here this morning, um, to open God's word, to begin a new year. This is how it's supposed to be in my heart. This is how it's supposed to be. You start off the new year with God. You start off the new year with God's people. I just think it's going to be a great year just because of this. So this morning, um, we're going to get into God's word. We're going to focus our lives, our hearts, and our minds on what God has to say. And I think today's message um, is, is, not, is a good one. Not because I'm sharing it, but it's because of God's word and where it's coming from. Pastor Rick has led us in the month of December through Isaiah 7, 8, 9, a little bit of 10. And he asked me in November to bring this sermon today and a couple days after he asked me that question, I began to pray, and God just brought my heart to Isaiah 6. And then he told us that he was doing 7, 8, 9, 10. I remember going home to Laura and saying, hey, guess what? Pastor Rick's doing in the month of December, 7, 8, 9, 10, and God really put on my heart Isaiah 6. And the beginning of this scripture, it starts out like this. It says, in the year, in the year. Those are the first three words of our scripture this morning, and as we look at a new year, many of us have most likely gone through the, I'm going to change this or, or that in the, in the 2017 year. I know I have. I've gone through those moments where I'm going to lose a little bit of weight this year. Um, I do have to, I, actually, I was looking on TV, there was a commercial the other day, and they have this new board out that you can just stand on. I don't know if you've seen this commercial, and you just go like this. And it'll give you abs. The devil knows my weakness. I was so tempted, like, I need that. I need that. Because if you know me, my, my goal is to serve the Lord and have abs. That's my goal. And I'm trying to serve the Lord, and I'm not going to get abs until the glorified body comes. I just know I'm going to be taller with abs. That's what I've been praying for. So I'm going to lose a little bit of weight. I want to go on a trip this year. I just anywheres. Just anywheres will do. I want to learn a new skill. Those are some of the things I've been looking at in the 2017 year. I know you probably have a list as well. And there's something, I've been thinking about this, there's something about fresh starts, new beginnings and do-overs that bring excitement and hope into the lives of people. And having goals and resolutions are not, a ba- are, are not bad, but today by the scripture, I want to remind you that they're not the be-all, end-all when it comes to New Year. I want to spend our time setting a precedent for the next 12 months when it comes to God and how we see him and our role in the big God story. So grab your word. Let's go on an adventure today. We're going to be in Isaiah 6. 
I'm reading from the NIV version. I'm going to read all 10 verses. And as you turn there, I want to just have a side note for a second. To me personally, this is one of the most important scenes in the Bible. One of the most important scenes in the Bible. If we can understand, grasp, and put into action what is taking place here in the Scripture, in the year 2017 and years to follow, the uncertainty of tomorrow will be eclipsed by the truth and hope found in these passages. I actually believe that. There have been times in my life in the 2016 year, um, the dark night of the soul, it usually happens between 12 and 4 for me when I can't sleep and God is waking me up. And many times I've turned to this passage. It's hope for us if we can know it and understand it. That's why I wanted to share it today. Let's read together. Isaiah's commission, it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraph, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. I love that. The Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom will I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell the people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the hearts of the people calloused. Make, the, make their ears dull and, their eye, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. This is the word of God. May he add a blessing to the reading of it this morning. In the year King Uzziah died, this is the commissioning year for the prophet Isaiah, and this year is 742 B.C. Now, most of the time when I hear sermons preached on Isaiah 6, we jump right into the Lord high and lifted up on the throne. And we will get there, but I think there's something to be grasped or something to be learned for taking just slowing down for a moment and just looking at King Uzziah and what he did. Under Uzziah, Judah reached the very peak of her economic and military power. The brief report in 2 Kings 15, 1-7, supplemented by the longer account in 2 Chronicles 26, gives us a picture of Uzziah's extraordinary accomplishments. And on the screen, I want to throw up for you Uzziah's resume. Uzziah's resume. You can find this in 2 Chronicles 26, starting in verse 3, moving through 23. And I'm just going to read some, and then I'm going to jump into the scripture and read a little bit more. So here's his resume. He became king at the age of 16. The scripture actually says that the people took him and made him king. He reigned in Jerusalem for 52 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, which is when it comes to the kings, that's an important thing. We know that not all the kings did right in the eyes of the Lord. He sought God in the days of Zechariah. 
He had an army of 307,500 men trained for war. He broke down walls. He rebuilt towns and towers and fortified walls. He mastered irrigation. The, uh, the scriptures actually share that he loved the soil. He was a man of the soil. He developed new technology for war. It actually says that he would set up on the, the corners of the walls. It would be like a catapult that he would just pull back things and shoot at his enemy. We're talking about like, mid, uh, like new age stuff. He, he did that. He was powerful, but it also says that he was prideful and the Lord removed him. I'm going to read a little bit of, of God's word out of Second Chronicles. And it says, but after Uzziah became powerful... His pride led to his downfall. So that's just a pause moment. Let's just take a sidestep from the sermon and just say, those who are in leadership, sometimes this can happen. We can, we can get so powerful or we can trust in our own, trust in ourselves that we become prideful. And it led to his downfall. He was unfaithful, check this, he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah, the priest, with 80 other, I love this point, courageous priests, like you ain't doing this, not in our temple, you're not doing this. 80 courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted him and said, it is not right for you, Uzziah, to, to burn incense to the Lord. This is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful. That's, you're talking to the king. That's bold. I love it. And you will not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. And while he was raging at the priest in the presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and, and was excluded from the temple of the Lord. Excluded from the temple of the Lord. You see, Uzziah, he did great things in the eyes of the Lord, and he was loved by the people, but pride caused him to fall. In the year 742, a king has died. That means there's going to be turmoil with the people. There would be one to take the earthly throne, but the people knew that there was a chance that the king would not reign with wisdom and justice because they've seen that in the past. These kings come up and they do their own things. They build different altars, they worship different gods, and they lead people away from God. And in the scene to come, there's a moment that would change Isaiah's life forever. And for us here today, when we, when we do not know what tomorrow will bring, we can have hope because our first point is God is on the throne. God is on the throne. That's our, that's our first point for us to look at as we go back to our scripture past Uzziah. It was good to know about a little bit about him, but going back to what Isaiah is seeing, he is seeing that God is on the throne. In ancient times, the status of a ruler, the height of the throne, and the length of the train of robe measured the loftiness of a king in many ways. I was doing some research. The closest king that I know of is a queen. In the year of 19... That didn't even make sense. <laughs> I'm just going to go. In the, in the year 1953, Queen Elizabeth II wore a robe that was 18 feet in length and described as a six-yarn train in best-quality handmade purple silk velvet trimmed with quality Canadian emblem number five on top and underside and fully lined with purple silk English satin complete with emblem cape 
and all being tailed, Emberin, in the traditional manner, and including embroidery from the Royal School of Needlework. I don't know what Emberin is. I'm sure someone does. They'll probably fill me in later. But it's mentioned three times in the design of this, this robe. In the year 2002, this is a little more closer to home, the beautiful Laura Patterson, now Doyle, walked down the aisle wearing an eight-foot silk train attached to her beautiful dress. And I was at the front, and she was beautiful, and it was very lofty and adorned for her husband. I loved it. Here, Isaiah sees a monarch on the, high, on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his garment is so massive that it furls over the sides of the throne into the front of the sanctuary and encompasses the entire interior of the temple. There has never been a king like this before, where the train of his robe would fill the temple. This is the picture that he sees. That's what Isaiah saw as he gazed upon the transcendence of the Lord. In Judah, the king they loved disobeyed the Lord. He can't worship. He can't lead. There's an interim king at this moment, which is his son. What will come of the people? What will happen when our enemies hear about the king? Will they come for us? What will be the consequence for the king's sin? Will it affect us, the people, too? When major things happen in the year, in our year that is coming up, we begin to have a moment like this. We begin to think through this, the things that might happen to us, or we try to intervene and say, i got to fix this problem. Is this what was happening to Isaiah? Was Isaiah thinking this? Did, th did these questions come to his mind? And did God show him, show him that in this moment, you can have peace because I am on the throne? I think this is very important for us to grasp as God's people coming together in this new year because there are gonna be things that are gonna happen in our lives this year. There are gonna be things and we will try to intervene, we'll try to do the, the, the human thing and try to lead ourselves. But I think there's a good application to take out of this, this God is on the throne point. In the year 2017, we have to remember that God will be on the throne. In times of personal doubt, God is on the throne. In times of sickness and pain and discouragement, God is on the throne. God is on the throne. He is high and he is lifted up. And we need to burn this imagery into our minds. We need to think about this. When we close our eyes, we need to see, like Isaiah saw, that he is high and lifted up. We need to write this on our hearts. We need to preach this with confidence. We need to live like we believe that God is on his throne and there is no power or principality that can dethrone our God. Our God. No impeachment will ever come to our God. There is nothing that will ever disqualify our king. Amen, Fred. <laughs> Didn't see that coming, did you? As we go back to the scriptures, as Pastor Rick taught us a, a couple weeks ago, in Isaiah 9, 6, 7, it says this. He says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. When you think about that, is the government on a child's shoulders? No, the government that we see and serve and his kingdom that he has set up is on, on a king's shoulders. 
and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Hope is in this passage for us. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from, the, from that time on and forever. And I love how it closes. It says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I love that. That God's passion for himself will get the job done. Not our passion, his passion. I love that. I love that God is so passionate about himself. He's so confident that I can put my trust and my confidence in him. Because he's not going to let himself fail. The first thing to remember as we begin this year together, as we go through the days that are marked out for us, is that God is on his throne. That is an amen moment for us. Says the days go by and the issues present themselves. This is where we run to. We run to this, this scripture. We preach it to ourselves. That no matter what we see at this moment, God is on his throne and he is high and he is lifted up and he is reigning. He is reigning in my life. And I'm not going to let the, the circumstances of what I see put doubt in my mind, put doubt in my heart in how I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm not going to let the situations or the circumstances keep me from the church. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be there. And even when my heart is hurting, I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to lift up my voice. I'm going to put my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And I'm going to trust in him because God is on the throne. Amen. That's the first thing we see here as Isaiah comes into the temple and he looks, knowing the things that are going on in the country, in the city, in the places where he lives and where he has been called to be a prophet to. He knows there's things going on. He knows that there are issues happening. He knows that there could be a little bit of trouble for the people coming. But he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And we need to see the Lord high and lifted up. That's the first thing. The second thing, as we come and look at the scriptures today, and God really just putting this on my heart, um, this one part is that God creates with purpose. God creates with purpose. That's another thing that we as God's people who are moving into this year, we have to know, we need to know that God is on his throne and that, that, that God creates with purpose. The scriptures in two verses, verses two to seven say, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite preachers and teachers, shares that God's creatures are suitable for their environment. He says that birds have wings and light bone structures because the air is their habitat. Fish have gills and scales and tails for underwater, and seraphim have the anatomy that is functional for their natural habitat. And their natural habitat is the presence of God. And to be in the presence of God and the presence of his unfailed glory every moment of the d- every day requires a certain anatomical apparatus. They're given two wings. And they're giving these two wings to cover their eyes. Remember when Moses was on the mountain and he makes this great request? I love Moses. He's a good, bold man. He asks God things like this. Where is it? 
Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence, and I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The Lord is just bringing it to Moses at this moment. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. You see, looking into the face of God is banned, is, is banned from, the, from our eyes from the first sin. And the reason we cannot see God is not because there is an innate deficiency with our eyesight. The problem is not with our eyes, it's with our souls. You see, in the Beatitudes, who is given the promise that they will see God? It is the pure in heart. They shall see God. Moses' heart was not yet pure. He wasn't allowed to see God, only a portion of God. We do have an end times promise that is found in 1 John 3, 2. John tells us, uh, dear friends, now we are children of God, and yet we'll and what will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ does appear, we shall be like him, for we, will, we shall see him as he is in his essence, not by some way of refraction, refraction, refraction of glory, not by a, a simple burning bush or cloud or pillar of fire, but we will see him as he is. But in the meantime, he remains invisible, hidden from our eyes. And his glory is so intense that even when his Shekinah is manifested on this planet, we see this in the Bible, to the eyes of people like Saul, Saul on the road to Damascus, he's blinded by it and it's so glorious and it's so intense that even the angels who are made to live in the immediate presence of God every day have to shield their eyes from the brilliance of his glory. This is the type of king that we have. This is something to remember. This is the type of, of, of king we serve this year as we come and get ready for a new year. That he is so powerful, that he is so glory, glorious, that even when he is creating the, angel that will, the angels that will serve him, he has to create them special so that they can stay in his presence. And the scriptures move on and they say, and, and they covered their feet in the presence of God. I thought that was odd when I was looking in the scripture, why would they cover their feet? Well, when I, I looked into it, it's the feet imply that we are created beings. When we go back to Moses, we notice that uh, in the burning bush uh, moment, in the burning bush scene, the Lord speaks to Moses and says, remove your sandals, you're on holy ground. Moses, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. The question is, what made it holy? Was the ground actually holy? No, it was the intersection, the visitation when God was in the presence of Moses or Moses was in the presence of God. Moses, your feet are symbol that you are made of dust. Your frame is of dust and your feet are symbol that you uh, are of clay. And in my presence, you have to cover your creatureliness. And even the angels, the seraphim, which translated back to the Hebrew means burning ones, burning angels, that's what they seen with these wings, are in the temple, as exalted as they are, are still creatures, and so they cover their feet in the presence of the almighty God. So they have two feet, two wings to cover their eyes. They have two wings to cover their feet, and they have two wings to fly back and forth. And while they are flying, they're saying to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. 
The whole earth is filled with his glory. We have a triple repetition of the word holy, translating when we look at this to absolute holiness. Our God, high, lifted up, train, flowing over, majesty, glory, absolute holiness. And the angels, they're not content with just holy. They're not just saying holy. They're not even content with the emphasis of holy, holy. They must say it three times, holy, holy, holy. They take it to the third degree, the superlative degree. The other, there's no other attribute of God that is praised like this in the whole Bible. And we as God's people, we love to just play with his attributes. We love to throw love and, and justice and mercy but not love or mercy or justice or even his sovereignty, just holy. Holiness is the essential nature of God. It's the essential nature. So when we think about God and we put that attribute first, we're gonna automatically know and see that we fall short of his holiness, of his glory. But when we put love and mercy and justice, we sometimes substitute ourselves on the same plane as God and we consider ourselves equal with God. But as soon as we throw holiness as the main attribute, we automatically see that we come short. So when we look at God's word and we look at how we interact with God's people and we put God's holiness first and we are defending God's holiness, we treat each other different. There is so much passion and power in the proclamation of the holiness of God that the doorposts and the thresholds shake. I love that. I love that the angels are, that are in God's presence are so moved by his holiness that the threshold and the doors are shaken. When was the last time that you were so passionate about God that things were shaken? I get passionate about a lot of things, but nothing shakes when I'm around. Not even my children. <laughs> my son is bigger than me now. <laughs> Sit down, son, we gotta talk, because I have to be above him. But when it comes to the holiness of God, these, these angels, they're bringing it. There is passion and power in the proclamation of the holiness of God. And I pray that we would write that on our hearts this year. That we would be so fired up for God's holiness. That we would be so fired up for God's word that we begin to speak it and things shake. Our problems begin to shake. The devil runs in fear because you got out of bed today and your God is on the throne, and you're remembering that, and you're, you're starting the year off with that. Every morning, getting up, my God is what? On the throne. And his holiness, woo! I think the keynote in this experience is sounded in the seraphim's cry. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. See, the prophet's reaction was not uh, the sense of his finiteness in, in the presence of the infinite, it was a sense of his sinfulness in the presence of holiness. His sinfulness in the presence of holiness. The vision of the Lord brought a demand for personal cleansing. Man cannot cleanse himself, even though we try. And Isaiah knew this. He knew the result because his reaction was, woe to me. Woe to me. See, God is holy and he does not tolerate sin. He uncovers it. He, he uncover, uncovers it. He rebukes it. He refuses to connive at it. That is one thing about our God. He already knows our sin, even though every day when we are committing sin, 
We want to cover it up. We want to hide it. We want to put it in little compartments that we can just keep to ourselves. But God is so holy and he is so powerful and he knows all things. He knows that it's happening. And our God wants to uncover it. He wants to rebuke it. He refuses to convey at it. God does not overlook our sin. He provides a way for it. He atones for the sin. So why, as God's people, are we so drawn at covering it up when God has created a way to get rid of it so that we don't know how to have to live with it? Why are we not running to God with it? I think it's because we're scared and we're nervous. The all-powerful God created with purpose and the seraphim are declaring the holiness of God to Isaiah. And if I were Isaiah, I too would shout, woe to me for I am ruined. He goes on to say, for I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I would have been beside myself. I often hear people in the church say, uh, uh, the Lord spoke to me. Did he? I saw the Lord. If I saw the Lord, I don't know if I would be at church. I don't know if I would be doing much. Because every time someone sees the Lord, prophets in the Old Testament, there are some major things happening. It's some scary moments. And he says, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's seen the great display of our magnificent God And Isaiah knows that he is a sinner in need of personal cleansing, that his sin needed to be atoned for. See, when we look at our God and we think about our God and we compare it to things in this world, we have a lot of things in the world as humans that we have developed to kind of take care of problems. If we have an issue in our health, we go see a doctor. If we have something going on in it with technology and we need to build something to make it better, we build it. We do things like that. But when it comes to our souls, we fall short. God is a soul surgeon. That's one thing that we need to know and understand about God. You can try to put all the great practices you want in your life, but if your soul is messed up, you need a soul surgeon. And you need to go to the soul surgeon to have it fixed. And Isaiah is standing in front of the soul surgeon and he is freaking out. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand. And when he'd taken the, he's taken it with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and he says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. See, God creates with purpose. The seraphim are created and are designed to live in the daily presence of God. In the temple already are tongs to handle the coal that has the power to atone the sin. A sinful man is in the presence of God and is given grace and is forgiven and is able now to really be in God's presence and stand before him because he is clean. There's so much hope packed into these verses for us that in the year 2017, God is on the throne and even when we think the impossible is before us, like sin in the presence of God, God has created a way. See, the coal and the tongs were already there in the temple. So don't tell me that our all-knowing God is not in control. That he didn't know that Isaiah would be there that day. Because he already knew that the tongs would be there, that the coal would be there, and that he had a plan for Isaiah. There is not a situation that he can't handle. It's just not true. 
So if you think that your situation is something that is a huge problem from God, we have to rethink that. Because the things that you're gonna go through, the situations that you will have this year, God's got it under control. He's got it under control. God is able, but are we willing to meditate on the scriptures and see ourselves, see for ourselves the truth that is waiting to be discovered? See, as I was thinking about this, God has already written the pages. He was already written the pages of 2017, and for some, these pages hold some moments that will rock your faith. And in those moments, will you exchange God for something or someone on the throne? Will you trust in the created versus the one who creates? In those moments, you have a place to, tur to turn. Isaiah wrote, in the year King Uzziah died, I. How will you fill in the blank this year? In the year I trusted, I obeyed. In the year 2017, I served. In the year 2017, I sought the Lord. In the year 2017, I grieved over my sin. In the year 2017, I ran away. In the year 2017, I drank to hide and mask the problem. In the year 2017, I lied so that I wouldn't get caught. In the year 2017, I lived in rebellion, doing my own thing. You see, my goal for this sermon was, not, was to set a pre precedent for the, for the 2017 year. Based on the Holy Scriptures and how we will begin this year, we sometimes make a bunch of promises or we resolve that God is on the throne ruling. Will we make a bunch of promises or will we come to realization, will we resolve for ourselves that God is on the throne ruling and reigning? Will we resolve that he is all-powerful, all-sovereign, and has made a way for us to fulfill our purposes? See, God created the whole earth and is filled with his glory. We can see it as we get up every day. God has made it so that we cannot have an excuse. But we can get up and we can open our eyes and we can see that this whole earth is filled with glory and we can tell people about it. We can be a part of it. We can share in it because God has created it that way. See, God created the seraphim to minister in the throne room. He created the altar that holds the coal that takes away the guilt. He created the tongs to hold the coal. He provided a way for a simple man to be with God. The coal, is on the, alt the coal on the altar represents the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Like the coal touching Isaiah's lips, the blood of Christ has made us clean. But not only that, God just doesn't make our lives clean. He doesn't just, just doesn't give us righteousness. He gives us purpose. He gives us identity. He gives us a calling. He gives us something to do. Which leads me to my last point. That God creates, uh, created a way for us to fulfill our purpose. You see, in the Westminster Catechism, it shares that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And they back that up with the scriptures of Psalm 86, Isaiah 60, 21, Romans eleven thirty six, First 1 Corinthians 6, 20, and 10, 31, and Revelations 4, 11. That the chief end of man is to glorify God enjoy, and enjoy him forever. See, God created us to be in his presence and to enjoy him. 
to enjoy him, to enjoy the, 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 the moments with God, to see him high and lifted up. And the gospel tells the story of how we fulfill our purposes and how we deal with this separation issue. See, we have a separation issue going on at, at this moment. See, there's a sin problem. See, God created the way, and it's the only way, and it's through Jesus. And the only thing we bring to this exchange, to this plan that God has set up, is our sin. That's the only thing we bring to the table. We help in no way. Justification is by grace alone, by faith alone. So no man be, can boast. It is a gift from God. So there is a great danger for us to listen to sermons week after week, year after year, and get very comfortable in the church setting. There's a great danger of us just settling back into our church pattern, and before you know it, it's time for our summer pattern, and we vacate the premises, and we do summer, and then we're back for our fall pattern. D.A. Carson says this. He says, people do not drift towards holiness. They do not drift. They don't just stand there, get in, and come to church, and then they'll be holy. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. He says that we drift towards compromise, and then we call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience, and then we call it freedom. We drift towards superstition, and then we call it faith. We cherish the indisciplines of lost self-control, and then we throw a name tag on it and say it's relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. And we slide, we slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. He says, this is what I see in today's church. People do not drift towards holiness. Will this be a grace-driven effort year for you or a slow drift into compromise? a slow drift into compromise. See, don't fool yourself into thinking it can't happen. I think we say that to each other. It's not gonna happen to me. I put precautions in. I'm not gonna slide towards compromise. But some of the greatest men in church history drifted. They compromised, they slipped. Abraham, Noah, David, Job, Moses, Uzziah. These were all great men, but they compromised, they slipped. They took their eyes off Jesus and tried to do things themselves. And when I say a grace-driven effort, I'm not talking about justification by works. I'm talking about taking a moment as God's people, a few moments, and reflecting about your life in comparison to God's word. Getting to know God's word and then looking at your life and comparing it to God's word and actually asking the question, is what I'm reading lining up with what I'm living? Is what I'm reading actually lining up with what I'm living? And if it's not, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to take the time to set yourself apart by God's grace, just to come into his presence and say, God, this, these are the areas that I, I need to present over to you. And, and I need your grace on them. And I need your love and there's some things I need to confess, and there's some things I need to turn from, and there's some things I need to put in my life so that I will not go back to those things because I do not want to compromise anymore. I want to put my feet on solid ground, which is your word, and move forward by your spirit. Maybe that's the prayer that we need to be praying this year. Are you bringing glory to God and enjoying him? 
Because if the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him, is that happening? Is that happening? See, James 1.22, and I love the book of James, just because James was the half-brother of Jesus and he didn't believe in him until after he seen Jesus with holes in his hands walking back, like, I'm going to believe now, kind of gives hope for doubters. And I'm a doubter. Like, I came to know the Lord late in life. I, I feel like I missed out on a whole bunch that I could have been doing. I heard about the gospel when I was 15, and I turned my back and walked away. I never really gave my life to, or actually Lord, the Lord called, my, called an, an account of my life when I was 21. So I missed out from 15 to 21 because I wanted to do me. But James, he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, that's the second part, they will be blessed in all that they do. See, the reason I share this today is because God shares it with Isaiah to tell the people that very thing. As we move through the scripture and we conclude with this, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he says, Here am I, send me. And we, we love that, that moment in the church. We love that little scripture. We want to cam out there. We just combine that with the Great Commission and we say, Go and make disciples of all nations, which is true. That is correct. Go and do that. That's what we're called to do. But in this moment, he's telling the people, he's warning, he's saying, go give a warning to the people. He says, go and tell them, be ever hearing, but never understanding. That's like a Sunday after Sunday that you're hearing every week, but you're not understanding. He says, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. He says, make the hearts of the people callous, make their eyes dull and close their, or make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, that otherwise, that's the hope transition. There's hope for us. It doesn't have to be that way. That doesn't have to be the end. That doesn't have to be the conclusion for us in 2017. We don't have to have dull ears. We don't have to be blinded. It says, they might, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Not only does God say his people have a heart problem, but they have eye issues and hear problems. Hearing problems. In this year, may our eyes be open, our ears tuned in, and our hearts made new to the things of God. In the year when the days look evil and hope is slim, what will you do? What will you do in those moments? Turn to Isaiah 6. Go there. Mark it. Put a slant. Get a sticky note. I was going to say tear it out and put it on your fridge, but don't do that. But go to Isaiah 6 and remember that no matter the circumstance, God is on the throne and there has never been a king like this, a king that is for you, that has created with purpose and has given you, me, the gift of life and the ability to bring him glory and enjoy him now and forever. We love the promise of eternity. I think we miss out on the now part. Let's enjoy God now. Because the days are limited. We don't know when God's going to call us home. We don't know when God's going to rend the heavens and come back. So let's not miss an opportunity as the church to gather together, to praise his name, to be all in. 
to serve, to love, to live the new life that God has given us. The, dangers, the danger is we drift, we compromise, and we dethrone God and reappoint false gods to help our own case, which always hurts us and those we love in the end. Let us listen, see, and turn our hearts to God now. Is God speaking to you about that as you've come in here this new year, this new day of the week? Is he speaking to you about that? Before I pray, I want to challenge you this year. I don't make promises from the pulpit. I don't. Because God's word says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and just live that every day. But I want to make a promise to you guys. I'm going to pursue God with all my heart this year. And I'm inviting the church to go on that journey too. To pursue God like you've never pursued him before. It doesn't matter your age. Teens, young adults, parents, singles, grandparents, pastors, deacons, Pursue God. We're going to put God first in everything. And since I've come to know the Lord, I've been learning to do that. But I want to just dedicate this whole year of God first all things. God first family. God first church. God first in the community. God first in my tithe. God first in, in, in the way I, I, I talk to people outside. God first what I watch. God first how I read. God first, I'm making that promise to the congregation this year that I'm going all in, in my own journey and in my own walk. And I've been doing that, but I'm falling short. And that's on me, between me and God. And I know a lot of people in this room have been helping me over this last year. But this last year in me, just a personal moment, has been a real reflection year. And God has taught me about his power and his grace. And when I take my eyes off situations and I look at him, he is powerful. It needs to be in God's church, God first always. So I'm going to make that promise to you, and I'm inviting you to be in on that promise. That doesn't mean I'm going to call you and say, how's your promise going? Remember that day? It was the first day of the year. But we will help each other. We will preach the word of God. We'll be in each other's lives. We'll grab coffee together. We'll pray together. We'll serve together. We'll do things together. And we'll, we'll look at each other, and we'll just we'll nod. God first, and if we're falling short, we'll pray with each other. We'll keep each other accountable. We'll do that together because that's what the church is called to do. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray, and Jordan will come and lead us in our final song. But please consider the word that was spoken today. Please come, and I would love to pray with you. And if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and he's calling you to turn your life over to him today, Pastor Ken and I, and I think some of the other pastors are here as well, will be here to pray with you. Make that commitment today. Do not harden your heart. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we just thank you for your, for your amazing word. God, I want to thank you personally that you visited Isaiah that day, that you allowed Isaiah to see you high and lifted up, because for me, at least for me, that scripture just gives me so much hope. It gives me so much hope for tomorrow because I know that you're already there and you're not just there, you're leading and you're glorious and you're high and lifted up. And God, 
We want to put you first. I want to put you first in all things. And God, I know that you bend your ear and you search the whole earth looking for those hearts that are sold out to you. And God, I pray today that your eyes would stop here at this church and that you would notice, that you would see, that you would delight in hearts that are fully turning over to you. God, we love you and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The words we just sang, Savior, worthy of honor and glory, worthy of all of our praise, you overcame. Jesus, awesome in power forever, awesome and great is your name, you overcame. God the Father sent Jesus the Son to be a substitute for our sin, creating a way for us to enjoy God now and forever. God is ruling on his throne. Will we be his church that will follow after his lead in the year 2017? I'm going to go with yes. I'm going to go with yes. As you leave today, I will remind you of the words of Paul to the Romans in Romans 15, 13. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Bless you. Have a blessed day.